You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the House of L podcast. It's an actual episode, House of L actual. Alert, alert, House of L actual. We are brought to you by Zenny. Zenny Zenny.com. Go find yourself a pair of glasses. I'm so happy that I got my pair of Sally Jesse Raphael glasses. Got the reds. I have six pair of glasses now, and I got them all from Zenny. They are wonderful. If you are looking for some glasses, then you should go to zenny.com and check it out. I promise you it is a very easy process, and you get your glasses very, very quickly. Our guest this week is Pat Tomasulo. It is a an excellent episode, and I'm looking forward to you being able to hear it. We will get to that, and I'll give you a full intro in just a minute. We do want to take care of the people that take care of the podcast, like David Hochberg. If you are looking to purchase a new home or refinance your existing home, then you need to do what I did. You know what's funny? It's actually written in the copy, but it's also true. I just got a new place. I can leave the apartment in the sky. And a big part of that was Team Hochberg and everyone over there that helped me. Here, Here's more of what they actually wrote down, but I'll just tell you that I try very hard on House of L to work with advertisers that I actually work with. So David Hochberg has been with us and has been supportive of this podcast for forever. So if you're looking to refinance your place or if you want to buy a new home like I did, you should call him. This week, Team Hochberg is recognizing Sheriff Dwight Baird and Under Sheriff Bobby Richardson. Basketball player? as well as 123 officers and 14 civilian workers of the Kendall County Sheriff's Department. Team Hochberg purchased food from Newark Country Kitchen, owned by Tori Lishi. Oh, that's nice. First responders and medical professionals deserve our appreciation, and family restaurants need the support. If you can afford to, purchase lunch from a family-owned restaurant for your local police, fire departments, or hospitals. Team Hochberg helped me and thousands of first responders, medical professionals, as well as podcast listeners. That's actually true, too. 
Some of you all have heeded the call and you've reached out to David Hochberg. He gets stuff done and he gets stuff done quickly. So call him, 312-855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. It's the website. It makes things nice and easy. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 112461. Pat Tomasulo has been one of those people that I've wanted on the podcast for a really long time. He's been super busy when he's not anchoring the WGN Morning News as their sports anchor and provocateur. At the time, he was still doing, when I first asked him, he was still doing his his Sunday night show, which we get into, the Man of the People show. And I wanted to talk to him about that whole creative process, and he was very open about what the things were that he liked, what things that if he's given another chance he would do differently, all that sort of stuff. I think that Pat is such a creative, you know, he's, he's a sportscaster in a creative space, and you get to see his skill, like his skill level play out every morning. I think that the, the WGN Morning News is the best news program in the country. I, I, and I've sampled a lot of it just, and I know that I haven't sampled it as much as everything else, but no one is able to do the high wire act, the tap dance that that show does on a daily basis, the way that they do, they can do serious when they need to do serious. They do funny a lot more often and it's great. Everyone has their roles. Everyone is fit into their roles. Um, shout out to the B team. If you ever get up at 4 a.m., like I love the B team because they're kind of building their own thing too. But Pat's one of the big reasons why this thing has been a success. So in here, we talk about the dynamics that go on at, at Channel 9, but we also talk about his stand-up career. See, I actually, you would think that because I do sports and Pat does sports, that I'm seeing Pat at White Sox games and Blackhawks practices and stuff like that. I actually see him most often when he's doing stand-up comedy. I've seen Pat Tomasulo like seven times perform, and he's really funny. But I wanted to find out about getting those laughs when you're already famous for something else. So it's something that we, we end up talking about. We talk a lot about comedy in here because it's something that he's passionate about. We also talk about what he's done – for trying to find some some relief for his wife who suffers from trigeminal neuralgia, which is a nerve disorder that affects her face. Like, she's in pain a lot. Like, and it just comes on, and and she's she's been in pain for a really long time, and there aren't a lot of answers on what to do about it. So Pat put together that laughyourfaceoff.org and that charitable event that go to laughyourfaceoff.org if you would like to donate. They would love your donation for sure. So there's a lot in here. We cover a lot of ground. He was a willing participant. You can also check out Pat's podcast, the Pat Tomasulo podcast. It's pretty easy. But I I love talking with him. I love kind of picking his brain because I think he's super sharp. And we had a great time. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you enjoy House of L Actual with Pat Tomasulo. I've been dying to ask you if this was, 
I know that, that there's like, you have had opportunities to do stuff that are kind of outside of the box of what a sportscaster does. Yeah. But, but I'm curious if being a sportscaster was really one of the things that was on your list or if you were like, yeah, it's fun and I like it and it's a means to an end. That's that is it. Look at you, man. You you're like uh, you're real Edward R. Murrow here, getting right to the right to the core. Um, that's an interesting question. I I think well, I always came out as a sports guy out of college. I mean, getting into the business was was going to be using sports to get in the business. I do think that there was some kind of uh, some kind of thought in the back of my head that maybe it was kind of a foot in the door because when I when I came through like you know, we're around the same age. So we came up around the time of like the, the golden era of sports center. Yes. Where guys were, you know, it was sports. Every one of those guys knew their stuff, but you weren't watching because it was sports. You were watching, you were, but you were watching because of who these guys were. And then uh, Craig Hilborn went to the daily show and then Olbermann went and did his own thing. I actually interned at the daily show when Craig Kilborn was there. Uh, and I was like, you know, this is a good, this is a natural transition, right? These guys go, they, their sports casters are on TV and then they segue more into comedy. So yeah, if you're asking it, it, it I, I think the way I looked at it was, this is a good way to do funny stuff. I love sports. Worst case scenario, I never get a chance to be funny and I'm still doing a job that I love. So it was probably a, a safer route than being, you know, um, a 22 year old starving actor or comedian, right? Not that I wasn't starving at my first job because <laughs> I, I certainly was, but I think it was one of the things where it's like, I know I could make a living doing this. Like, I know, I, I know this this field well enough that I can, I can be successful doing this and I'm going to try and do comedy along the way. Um, and then, you know, and ended up being the best of both worlds. Were you doing stand up in college? No, no, I didn't do stand up until I came to Chicago. So I was in Chicago. So my first job was in, um, I didn't know, you know, if I would have known there was a way to do stand up in college, I probably would have, but that whole idea to me was so foreign like I, I see these kids who are like 19, 20, like I would have never even thought to get on a stage at 20 years old. I just didn't think that was something you can do. Right. Like I was the first person in my family to go away to college. So the thought of like, not uh, the thought of going to college and not just going to college. Mm -hmm. Right. Was so foreign to me. So I never did stand up until I came to Chicago. There was nowhere to do it at my first job. Uh, my second job was in Buffalo. I don't even think there was a comedy club in Buffalo. And then uh, I came here and I, I waited a few years before I, I kind of established myself. And then, uh, and then I gave it a shot. Was it hard to get accepted by the crowd? Because at the time that you started doing stand-up, you were kind of already Chicago famous. So, yeah. so, so is it hard? Like, uh, do you ever wonder, am I getting the laugh because I'm funny or, is, or am I getting the laugh because I'm the guy from the TV show? Yeah. I don't worry that I, I don't wonder that now. I think I did in the beginning, but I also had a pretty good, I also had a pretty good uh, way to tell the difference because, you know, I was doing shows with Mike Toomey and Anna Bellaval that were uh, kind of WGN centric where the three of us would go out and do like 20 to 30 minutes each. So I was able to kind of 
gauge the reaction I would get from those crowds against the club crowds. You know, you do the club crowds, I would say, you know, maybe 30% of the people there know who you are. You know, if you're doing Laugh Factory and there's there's 350 people there on a Saturday night, 30% of the people might know who I am, but that's still, you know, well over 200 people who have no idea who I am because you get a lot of tourists coming through those clubs. Um, so I, I definitely think there was um, maybe some of that when I did the WGN shows where I would say, you know, some, some shows are a layup. Some shows, some shows you walk in, you tell one joke and they're rolling on the floor. You're like, all right, all right I know I'm funny. I'm, I'm not that funny. Calm down. Let's just relax. All right. I mean, I, I make myself laugh more than anybody, but let's, let's just cool it people. Uh, so, yeah, I think I probably, this is just my natural, I'm going to move this microphone down if you don't mind. I think that's my natural way of looking at it is that, I would, I would more or less go on stage and think, are they going to not laugh because I'm the guy on TV, right? Because I think, because comedy is such a pure thing that comedians don't like people who are, you know, the worst thing comedians like is some actor trying to be funny, right? Every time an actor tries doing stand-up, they hate that. So I think I always took the, the mindset that, are they not going to like me because I'm the guy on TV as opposed to, oh, they're going to love me because I'm the guy on TV. So you're you're already like putting yourself in that mode of like I gotta win I gotta win because they prob there are probably people in this crowd that think I can't win because it, this isn't what they've seen me do. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. The other way of putting it would be uh, I was raised by Italian Catholic parents with generations of guilt within me, so I just naturally assume they're gonna hate me, Lawrence. That's that's one way. If we if we want to get psychiatric. We can go that way, but no, that's, that's, you're exactly right. You hit it. You hit it on the head for sure. When's the moment when you are like, I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to get in front of a crowd. I wanted to do stand up, And then you said, no, 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 I, I gotta do this now. Instead of just thinking that you wanted to do it, knowing that it's a part of you. The first time I did it, I was in a, I think it was one, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, what the impetus was. I was in LA. I was, I wasn't going to do it here for the first time. The first time I went on stage, I was not going to get, get in front of an open mic of people who knew me and just, you didn't want to die here. Right. Yeah. No, I wanted to die somewhere else first. And uh, so the first time I did comedy was in LA at an open mic and it went horribly and then uh, the next night, I did the same exact set in a different setting and crushed. And I and I don't, you know, I'm sure if I were to transport myself back to that place now, I'm sure I didn't crush that hard. But it it sure felt like I was at Carnegie Hall just murdering. And uh, and then I came back to Chicago, and then I think I did a couple of open mics here. And if you've ever been to any, any bar, you've been to bar shows. I've seen you at some. I don't know if you've been, been to any bar open mics. I've never been they're, to any of those. They're inherently awful. They are, there's no faster way to make you want to quit something you love than performing to a bunch of comedians who are looking down at their phones and notebooks for the four minutes that you're up there trying to tell jokes. It's awful. And then I came and did it, and it was just... Um, and then I ended up taking about a year off and then I got into it full time. Once, you know who, who actually helped 
get me into it full time was uh, was Belleval because she started doing it here. And she's like, I know you do it. I know you've you've done it. And I know you want to do it, so come and, and do some shows with me and, and Toomey. So I did, and then I started tagging along with Toomey all the time. And then I just I took to it to, like a fish to water. I just couldn't uh, I, I couldn't stop doing it. It's funny. You can actually kind of feel the vibe between you and Anna on the air. Um, and I think it, it, it goes to, you know, you guys' relationship in comedy, which I, which I think is really wonderful to, to have people that want to see you succeed in that venue and don't think that you're, you know, moving in on their territory. What's that feel like to know that you've got support from someone like Toomey and someone like, uh, like Anna? Well, let me ask you this. You're in the, uh, you're in the media landscape, Lawrence. Do you find a lot of people who are that magnanimous and gracious in this business? No. Um, you find a few. There are a few and a few of them that, that are like that. Like you, I found that I attach myself to those people because they've got like the good vibes and that's the way that it should be, but it's not the way that it always is. Yeah. No, there's enough for everybody to eat. And and I think, yeah. And I think, listen, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm, I think we're all guilty of it. Nobody gets into this business unless they have some kind of an ego. For sure. You can say you don't, you could say that, oh, you know, and yeah, you, you could say you're humble, but you're humble for somebody on TV. Let's qualify it, right? Like, so I, I think it's rare. It's it's super rare. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just as guilty of it. Um, I I try to be cognizant of it for sure. But yeah, it helped it helped immensely to have those two. And Toomey is a guy, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen Mike Toomey do stand up, but Mike is just Mike is prolific. I mean, the guys the guys got so much talent and is so gracious with his uh with his time. Like he would. He'd be doing shows in, you know, because that was a safe space for me to try things out. You know, he would be doing shows in like Wheaton and Bolingbrook and Crystal Lake and God knows what other far flung suburbs. And I'd be like, hey, can I do 10 minutes before your show? And he'd be like, yeah, of course. Come on. Come on through. So, you know, that's something I try and, and pass along now because haven't been in this now 12 years. It's kind of wild now seeing like these 24 year old comics hit me up on Instagram and be like, Hey man, can I do, can I do 10 minutes before your, before your set when you're at Zany's? And it's like, you got to step back and be like, you know, remember that you were that guy, you know, not too long ago. Lift as you climb. It's a really good I guess. way to, to go about it. Um, I, the dynamic of the WGN morning news is unique. Like, Across the country, there's nothing else like that. How have you all been able to build it and sustain it for two decades of of it being unique television? I don't know, man. I think about that all the time. I think one thing the last year of the pandemic has made me so much more appreciative of is that show. Um I think being out of the studio for five, six months, however long I was out of there, um, you really, you you realize just how unique that dynamic is in that chemistry. I mean, you know, listen, it all starts with, with the three of them that have been there for God knows how long, 25 years. It's like a manslaughter sentence, 25 years. Um, <laughs> it is. I could have done murder too and done less time. Um, but it, it really, 
I don't know. I mean, they've they've rarely and there have been different news directors and different general managers over the years. They have I got to give them credit, too, because they have rarely missed on a draft pick. You know, this isn't like Ryan Pace, who had a great draft just now. And we're going to forget all the other drafts, which we're all seeming to do right now. Um, <laughs> we're forgetting the, the seven years previous. To this. Yeah, it was like all week. I'm like, did I tell you guys? Did I tell you Ryan Pace was going to nail this draft? I told you. I told everybody he was going to nail this draft. Nobody listened to me. Nobody listened to me. All week. Meanwhile, I'm crushing the guy the whole week before. Um, but they they really have missed few picks. The casting that they've done, you know, they hired me, Anna, and Val Warner all at the same time, which, you know, is a pretty damn good trifecta to hire on the same day. Um, and then I, I think they just let us be us, you know? We have a pretty good uh, radar for what works and what doesn't and – you know, the, the flow of the show and the energy of the show. And they don't mess with us, which is, which is unheard of. It's on, we get away with murder in that place every day. Why do you think that other places are so reluctant? I'm sure you've worked at shops that don't allow for the level of creativity and fun that you guys have. And I, I don't understand, like if I were in charge of a station I can't copy what you guys do because the personalities are unique, but I can at least set up an environment that's similar to try and get a, a similar result. Why do you think that we've seen, especially as TV has, uh, has contracted, people be afraid to take a risk like that that might garner them more attention and more eyeballs? I think it's a number of things. I think, I think we're very lucky. I think, uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say by and large, uh, TV news people are generally inherently unfunny. So I think you've, I think a lot of times when you see people try to duplicate that it's a disaster. So I think there is that fear of that I do think we were an independent for years and years. And we were, we were, uh, we had nothing to lose. Like when we started that morning show, nobody knew who they were. Um, we weren't number one. So when you're starting from the bottom, it's a lot easier. And I also think it's very hard to do what we do now. If you are a new enterprise or a new show, I think there's a lot of stuff we do that where, you know, let's be honest. I, I think right now sensitivities are extremely heightened. And not that I think we do things that are inappropriate. I don't, I don't, I don't think anything we do is, you know, we do things that might be a little colorful. We do things that might be a little, uh, that push it a little bit, but I think by and large, we don't do anything inappropriate, but I think a lot of the stuff that we do, if we were a brand new show starting, you know, tomorrow and started doing some of that stuff, it would be very hard footing. Um, but I think we have a lot of history. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's hard too to take chances i think people are so are spread so thin in newsrooms that are doing 13 hours of news a day it's tough man to 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 really make impactful creative stuff you need time and i think we had time in years past to kind of build this machine that kind of runs itself it's tough it's it, the show is lightning in a bottle it, it really is Chicago's a place that's pretty provincial when it comes to the people that give them their information. Yeah. How did you overcome not being from here and now feeling like you are of here? Yeah, I didn't pay it any mind. 
I really, I really think, I, I think that's over overestimated. I do. When I came, you know, they said, uh, like I, I ran into so much shit with my news director when we first started about, you know, you gotta, you gotta pull in the reins. You gotta, and, and admittedly I was young and probably a little cocky and a little, you know, a little headstrong, but Ultimately, I think a lot of my instincts served me well, where they would say, you know, you can't be doing this or you can't be doing that. You know, it takes people from here a long time to accept you. And, and I said, yeah, no, I get that. I said, but this is the second biggest city in America. You think there are not cultured, interesting, um, you know, people, there's not that desire for interesting outsiders or just, they're going to recognize talent. They're not going to, they're not going to say this guy's great, but he's, you know, he's not from Berwyn, so I'm not going to watch him. <laughs> I just think that's, I think that's overestimated. I think Nat, listen, am I ever going to be on the same plane as Robin Baumgarten? Of course not. She's, she's royalty here. But I, I do think the fact that like, you're not from here, they'll never, never accept you is so overblown. I really do. Well, that's a good, good way to look at like going against something like that, where you can come into a new place and, and get comfortable and feel comfortable. I mean, that's important. Like that's, that's important for what the product ends up being on the air. If you got people who are uncomfortable, it's never going to work. Yeah. I also think that being, you know, dude, I grew up in New Jersey, which you just changed the accents. It's the South side of Chicago. Of course it where is. I grew up. The sensibilities are completely the same. The landscape is completely the same. The way people talk to each other is completely the same. So I think, you know, I think my natural sensibilities probably um, resonated with the Chicago audience. But, you know, listen, I I still do think that, though. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I think if I was somebody coming in from out of town, you know, you don't do anything to um, not ingratiate yourself with the locals. But if you're good and you have talent, I, I mean, we're amongst friends here. How many people do you know in our business that have gotten 20 jobs just because they grew up here or they're from here because they had success at one point? It's like, at some point, don't you think, well, this person has not moved the needle in so many years. Why don't we give somebody from out of state who's not from here a a, a chance? I think that thinking is just so antiquated. It's good to hear. That's really good to hear. I remember... Tell me if I'm remembering this wrong. I feel like I remember you and Val racing to Wrigley. Oh, yeah, I whooped her ass. Right? Like, is that? Yeah, yeah she was talking mess, and then I had to take her to school. We ran up. Where do we run? We ran up to Wrigley and back, and I destroyed her. How, how much did you beat her by? Bro, I was wait. I felt like I was. I could have had lunch in how long I was waiting for her to, to get to the finish line. I, I feel like I, I remember the copter, like, following yeah. you guys and everything. Yeah destroyed her i wasn't talking any mess she thought it was all a game she yapping at me for weeks because she's you now i wouldn't race her because now i'm broken but at the time like she had started working out she'd been working out for like three weeks and she's talking mess to me like, <laughs> like i'm not like i wasn't an athlete all of my life and yeah like, okay all right okay all right and then we ran and i crushed her yeah and she's wanted a rematch for years and years but like jerry seinfeld i choose not to run I'm not running anymore. So you'll never give her the rematch. No, I can't. Lawrence, I'm broken. I got hip. I got hip issues like Afia. You know, Afia, our friend. I do. I got the same thing she has. I can't run. I can't. I'm in pain. I'm a busted, broken man. I got a back. I got hips. 
But was that one of your greatest athletic moments? Because it's not just beating, beating Val, but crushing Beating Val, no. Beating Val Warner. Listen, Lawrence, I was a District 22 champion in high school. <laughs> I, I know that you know this. It's, I do. It's legendary throughout the uh, – I've seen pictures of the days. singlet, yes. I, yeah, throughout, throughout – in, in your home, you have pictures of me in the singlet. <laughs> yes, I'm glad that you're letting everybody know. Uh, I thought it was a little strange, but hey, whatever. Hero hey, worship takes many different forms. If you're a fan, you're a fan. It's that simple. Yeah. No, beating Val, beating Val in a uh, in a five k, there was personal satisfaction in it. Don't get me wrong; the fact that I could still hold that over her to this day. But from an athletic standpoint, no. When you when you've had a storied and prolific and athletic career as I have, beating beating a traffic reporter in a race ranks ranks pretty low. I mean, I was. Have you, you seen the stuff ahead. that she's doing now, though, on Instagram? Like, there's no way. Like, I got no shot of doing that stuff that Val's doing now. Listen, you talking about me or about you? About me. I'm saying about I you? can't do yeah. all that stuff that Val's like. She's she's doing these Instagram videos where you're like, it, do you host yeah. a television show? Or are you like uh, uh, those early morning ESPN shows where we see people doing workouts all the time? Like, I can't yeah. do any of that mess. Well, listen. That that is what's born out of out of televised shame and embarrassment. When you have when you have something like that light a fire in your belly, when you're humiliated <laughs> like that so badly in a race on television that you say, you know what, I gotta change my entire life. Something has gotta give because I can't ever have embarrassment like that in my life again. She's and if gonna- I could provide that for her, then then well, that's probably the, the greatest thing I can do in my life. She's going to punch hers. me in the face. Do you know that every time, literally every time that yeah. I would be on Windy City Live, I'd be in yeah. the green room and she would say, I'm mad at you about something. And she would never oh, remember she's a- why she was mad at me, yeah. but she was mad at me. And I'm like, what did I do? Well, now there'll actually be something for her to be mad at me about. But it'd like clockwork. I'd walk in. I'd dap up Ryan. I'd be like, hey, Val. I'd give her a hug. And she's like, I'm mad at you. And I'm like, what did yeah. I do? I didn't do yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's just her nature. She's a very she, – she likes to start trouble. I think anybody who's who's met Val Warner knows just what a devious person she is. <laughs> and that's that's what she does. She likes to stir the pot. She likes to ruin your good day. You walk in there happy, shaking hands, wanting a hug, and that's that's just her nature. I think we all know her. Anybody who knows her knows how deceptive and devious she is. And I, and I, she knows I'm not speaking out of turn. She knows. But next time bring it up. Ask him how many minutes did Pat beat you by in the 5K? And and did he moonwalk across the finish line? Did you really? That? I did. I forgot oh, yeah, that part. I, danced. I did a primetime Deion Sanders dance about the last 30 or 40 feet. And then I think I moonwalked across the finish line. I think they had coffee waiting for me. I had a cup of coffee while I was waiting for her. it was so bad. I passed her on the way back. We ran up to Wrigley and back. And I think I had reached Southport on the way back by the time she'd reached Southport. So was there any part of you was like, I'll just stroll the rest no, of the way to I Bradley wanted, Place. I wanted to cry. I wanted to take her soul is what I really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to. Yeah, no, she, she, she poked the bear, Lawrence. Again, you don't become a district 22 champion for taking it easy on the competition. I am. I, you, you want to crush them. I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, no, um, I wanted, I wanted her to, I wanted her to go to bed that night thinking about that race <laughs> and then being reminded of it the next day. Over and over again. And then years later on Love this you, podcast. Val. Hope you're well. <laughs>
I hope she's gonna punch me in the face. Like I, I'm, I'm certain of that. Was wrestling like your? Was that the thing, or did you drift into wrestling? I was. Uh, I played baseball all my life, and uh, my brother and I were fat kids. And then he ended up wrestling, and he lost a bunch of weight. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe old tomato tits over here can get in shape if he starts <laughs> wrestling. And I said, ooh, and he was really good. And I was young and I did anything my brother did. And then uh, I was like, oh, I like this. And then that became, that became the thing full time. That was another thing that was just addicting. Once I, once I got into that, I stopped. I played baseball for an extra, I played baseball through freshman year of high school. And then I stopped to uh, focus on wrestling. They have, my chemistry teacher was also the wrestling coach at HF. And he was always telling me, like, I, it wasn't for me. Um, because I saw the guys trying to make weight and we had, oh, yeah. we had this area of HF call literally called the sweat box. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And, and you just have guys in garbage bags just running around in circles. And I was like, this is not, this is not for me at all. It, it was, it's funny. I feel like, like almost every, like 50% of high school wrestling teams have a sweat box in their high school somewhere that they call the sweat box. Dude, it was, it was miserable. It was miserable. It was like, I look back at it now and, uh, I'm so glad I did it because it, it shapes so much of, uh, my work ethic, you know, like when you can put your, I think back to some of the stuff I did physically back then. And it, and it's astounding that, that I was even able to do half of that stuff, but yeah, no cutting weight was just so, so miserable. I mean, I remember like you know, like rationing out capfuls of diet soda. Wow. To, Cause you're so dehydrated and it turned you, it turned you insane. I was talking to a buddy of mine, my best friend from high school, we wrestled together and he was telling me a story of, of you know, like the cutting weight. It drives you. Sense. All you're, all you're thinking about when the season starts, you're like, it's wrestling season. I love wrestling. I just want to wrestle all the time by mid, by mid season, all, all your focus has completely shifted from wrestling to what can I eat in six weeks? That's all you think about. Dude, we would make lists. We would compare lists. We'd rank the places we were going to go. But it, you know, you, you, you turned your loco. Like my, my buddy was telling me he tried. He was cutting so much weight his junior year. I never knew this. He tried to break his own hand so the season would be over. So he could eat again. Oh, he, wow. he was at, he asked his sister to run his foot over with her car. She refused. Oh, bro. Starvation is a, is a powerful motivator, my friend. So what was the, the thing that you had to have once the season was over? The thing oh, that, that you, you were wrestling for, bro. It, it was like, it was like a three day tour of just <laughs> McDonald's and cookies the biggest thing was liquids because that's when you're, when you're cutting weight, it's not the food that makes you, makes you over. It's all water weight. So the night before a match, if you're over, it's all, it's all water. You're just sweating it out. The second you finish weigh-ins and you have a glass of water, you're putting on three pounds. Like no lie. If you, you drink a bottle of Gatorade, that's, that's three or four pounds that's going back on you. So when you're in that perpetual state of dehydration, like I look at pictures of me from high school, like I don't know how nobody called child protective services on my parents. 
Like I look, and I don't think you realize when you're with somebody every day, you know, like if you see somebody three months apart, you notice changes sure. if you them every day. You don't notice. That's how brutally skinny I was. So I think it was, it was liquids more than anything. You were like, I just want to have water whenever I want. I just want to have, I want to have Gatorade at any time of the day. It's going to be so fantastic to just drink a Poland Springs. I can't wait. <laughs> drink a Poland Springs. I'm going to drink so much water when the season is over. I'm never going to be thirsty anymore. I think it was more of that than food. Do you have a favorite like, match? A favorite match? Where you were know. just on fire. Like, I don't know. I mean, like matches that I wrestle well, I got to be honest with you. I'm not one of those guys, you know, I'm not like an 85 bear who's looking back <laughs> 30 years ago. You know, granted, what they accomplished 10 million times more impressive than what I did. I, I appreciate that time in my life. I appreciate the lessons that I learned from it, but I'm not like one of those guys who's going to sit back and talk about the glory days. You know, like there were, there were some matches where I think a lot of them were just uh, probably stuff that was never televised. Like I used to, I belonged to uh, this wrestling club that was uh, like pretty, pretty solid pedigree of like some of the best in the state and Jersey had, phenomenal high school wrestling but i would go there twice a week all year round during the season two where you just work out with kids from schools all over the state you know you walk in there every kid in my class was a state place winner region place winner and i think probably some of the best are just some of those workouts in there just going head to head with with some of the best guys in the state that i wouldn't have had a chance to wrestle uh regardless that to me was probably where i had some of my some of my best wrestling right because you you're raised to the uh to the competition, but, um, yeah, looking back, I don't, I don't know if there was, there was one particular, there were some cool team matches that we had, but yeah, I don't know. I, I this is a, quite the left turn, but I wanted to ask you about being a sportscaster in 2021 and how vital that job used to be versus yeah. what it is now. I've always liked your approach with it because all of us can do all of us can literally read the teleprompter and tell you what happened. You've always been a wink and a nod guy. You're telling me a story, you're having fun with it. Were you ever concerned that since you weren't a traditional sportscaster, like kind of stuffy sportscaster, that your bosses wouldn't allow for you to grow into being what you've been? No, because I think they knew what they were getting when they hired me. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I did the same thing at my previous job. You know, it was the same, uh, same, same kind of style. The style has never really changed. I just think it's just gotten more refined as I've, as I've gotten a little bit better at telling jokes and better at comedy. Um, but the style has, has changed. If anything, I thought it was the only thing that would keep me employed. To sure. Be because, because honestly, what, what, what's, uh, what's to stop them? If I'm, if I'm just a guy, if I'm just a prompter jockey, and I'm a guy who's doing who's doing highlights. What's to stop them from replacing me once I get to a, a certain, you know, income threshold or a certain, uh, you know, a certain level, right? So to me, I thought that was the only thing that was ever going to keep me uh, viable and, and indispensable, indisposable, whatever. What's the word? No, you got it right. Indispensable. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's that's a really good thing. So how do you how do you and and, and Nick go about trying to make sports fun and funny in the morning? I think if, 
it was all about establishing a formula for years and years. Um, that's where I think a lot of the groundwork was laid. You know, we have different, uh, we like to have fun with graphics. We like to have fun with music. Um, story selection, I think is a big thing. You know, I'm, I'm one where if it's, if it's between showing an extra set of highlights or an extra ridiculous soundbite or story, I'm, I'm going to go for the latter, right? Cause you can, you can find the highlights anywhere you want. As a matter of fact, I try not even to do highlight heavy stuff uh, if possible, but I think he and I are on a good, um, we have, we have a good, uh, good method of communication between the two of us. He knows what I like. So he, he'll find stuff for me. Um, I do a lot of the, the graphics and the music selection. And I think it's just, a, just about trying to have at least one or two things in every sports cast that are going to appeal to people who don't care about sports. And I think if, if you can hit one or two things, every sports cast, that's a pretty good average. Some sports cast, it's half of the sports cast, which is just, you know, fun stuff. But I think it's, um, it's, it's consistency and it's people knowing what they're going to get. Right. So if we hit those averages more often than not, uh, we do. Okay. How do you feel about engaging the rest of your dysfunctional television family in what you're doing? Because I, whenever I filled in for you, I like to tell them, like, hey, you might want to watch The Kicker. Um, yeah. Just because, like, in case it, it might strike them as funny. And they work, like, I, Larry and Robin, whenever I've been there, they've treated me incredibly graciously. Yeah, and that's because you're only there once, Lawrence. Stop I know. blowing smoke up their ass. I know, I know. If I was there, they'd probably be like, you're an idiot, which would be totally appropriate. I yeah. just I just know that, that the, you draw them in in a different way. And I know they're checking their scripts. They're looking yeah. at all sorts of stuff. And then all you're of a sudden. right. That's what they're doing. And all of a sudden you got them. Like you yeah. got them with something. And they're asking the director to run it back because it was that funny. Because I don't give them a choice. That's why. <laughs> when, you don't think I see that? They're not paying a damn bit of attention. <laughs> I can see them out of my periphery. I, they're not looking at a word I'm saying. All you got to do is just say, hey, Robin, and her ears perk right up. Let me tell you something. You involve that one. She hears her name. It's like a dog whistle. <laughs> yes? What did you say? <laughs> oh, my God, Robin, this is for you. Okay. <laughs> I, don't give them a, I don't give them a choice anymore. That's they're going to be involved whether they want to be involved or not. I don't care. I'll yell at potash. I'll start, I'll start ripping on them. I don't care. Um, but they like that. You know, I think they like that's part of the, that's part of the connection, I guess. At least that's what I'm going with. It's totally fine. It's a lot of fun. Like that's the beauty of what it is that, yeah. that, that you Just guys show, have crafted. Show somebody falling or dancing and you're going to get Robin say her name invite. Listen, have you ever met a moment of silence on the air that Robin doesn't want to destroy? If you just don't talk, she'll just give a pause. Just give a thoughtful pause and she'll get involved. Really? Okay. Have you met Robin? I yes. Have you ever known Robin to be able to stomach an uncomfortable silence for more than a second and a half? Well, now, now I'm kind of thinking back to some stuff that she would always engage me in the makeup room. And now I'm like, oh, that's because she didn't want it to be weird. Not yeah. because she thinks I'm interesting or fun or funny, 
but she no, didn't want she it to just be hates weird. uncomfortable silences. Yeah, she can't she can't stomach silence. Whereas huh. me, I, I, you know, I think, but I think when you work with her for as long as we have, that's kind of something that we savor, our moments of silence. <laughs> when you finally get some quiet, because we, we don't get them. We let Lauren Jiggets know that every time she, oh, you hear that, Lauren? What? Nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, LJ, like she, she can live in that space. She's she's totally fine with that. Now, listen, we are, Robin is the best. Let me just preface that, lest anybody out there be listening to this thing. You know, I love Robin, um, but yeah, next time you're on there, just force him to get involved. Okay, say hey, Bob Garten, listen up. Say it like that. She'll respond to that. All right, I'll I'll see how that goes for me the next time I I end up doing that. Um. Your wife's story has become your story. The the laugh yeah. your face off that you put together. What made you say, let me lend this part of, of our, let's first of all, make her story public. And then let me lend my talent to trying to help. Uh, it took a long time before we got to a point where we were comfortable sharing her story. Um, I, you know, being in this business, I have a very thick skin. I think just in general, there's there's very little you can say to me that's going to offend me. There's very little you can say to me that's going to that's going to hurt my feelings. Um, but I know that that's unique to to me and to people in this business. You've calloused you know? over like like yeah, you, that's... I got a calloused mind. I don't. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't get to me. This is, I mean. Let's put it this way. Sometimes it gets, it gets to all of us, but it's never going to change my approach to anything. I was always super protective when it came to her. Um, never wanted to put her in the public eye. Never wanted to, you know, if we were out places, I didn't want people taking pictures of her with me. She doesn't need that. She's got enough in her life. She doesn't need to see some idiots on, on Facebook commenting about her or whatnot. But it got to a point where, you know, what she has is so rare and it's so, um, so debilitating and there's nothing you can do to our knowledge. There was nothing being done for research. There was nothing being done for uh, any, anything that would provide hope. And then we, we found out about a foundation that, that actually was doing something. They had done an event here sometime in 2014. And we were invited to go by somebody we knew. And uh, for the first time, there was like, oh, my, oh wow, there's, there's somebody who's actually doing something here. There's somebody who's raising money for research, who's, who's funding research. And I think that was the catalyst. And then she and I came home that night, and we knew from leaving that event, we were like, all right, well, we got to do something. Because um, I've got a platform. I've got a skill set. Uh, we didn't know what the hell we were doing about you know, in terms of organizing a fundraiser or how you do it, but we decided that we were going to do something. And then I think as we started getting closer to it, there needed to be a way to announce it. And there needed to be a way to kind of make our intentions known and, and let everybody know what we were doing. And, uh, and that's when she and I discussed it. And she said, you know, listen, if it's, if it's going to help the event and it's going to help the research and it's going to help the cause, and you think it's something that that would help that, then then I'm up for doing it. And uh, I said, all right. So we found uh, Dina Bear, a reporter at WGN, 
who whom we trust very very uh deeply and um two of the photographers and producers over there who were in charge of the story were all people we trusted with her story and uh we we decided to make that jump and and the reaction to it was so overwhelmingly positive uh not just to her but to how many people who have the disease that reached out it was it totally galvanized us and it was it was total uh reassurance that that we'd made the right decision and then it just snowballed from there how good does it feel to know that you've played a role in helping not just your wife, but other people? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's the, um, you know, we're still, God, medical research is so such an overwhelmingly slow and laborious process. You know, it's when I look at this vaccine, right. Not to, not to get on COVID or anything, but the fact that they came up with something in, in nine months, a year is like, I mean, that's, that's some miracle shit. Believe me, because yes. stuff, normal medical research takes so many years and takes so long. So as, as much progress as we've made with our research and, and we have made a, a, a great deal of it, you know, it's still going to be a little while before there's anything we can put in her face that, that ends the pain for her. But the one thing we've, found from doing this is how many people have reached out to us and been like, you know, I had this pain. I was going to all these doctors. Nobody knew what it was. I saw the piece on your wife. I knew what I had. I came to my doctor and now I'm getting treatment. You know, the treatment is not always great. The treatment's not curative, but there are so many people who get this disease that go five, six years that just get butchered by dentists. They get butchered by pain doctors who make the condition worse because they don't know about it. So I think that's been the real thing we've seen is how many people have reached out to us and said, you know, thanks to you guys, we got a diagnosis. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's the best thing I, I've, I've done and can do in my life. That's hands down. I mean, you know, that's not to say I, I just still don't uh, labor over my stand up and, and, you know, get anal retentive and anxiety ridden and, and neurotic like any, person who does anything artistic for a living gets, but there's always a, uh, there's always a, a prism through which I view it all. Right. And that's, uh, through, through, through the life that Amy lives and, and what we've done for, uh, for her and for patients. Were you surprised when channel nine green lit man of the people? Um, no, cause they really wanted to keep me, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I wasn't, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, how do I put this? I wasn't surprised that they did it. I think I was surprised by, um, how quickly they committed to it. Cause I think it just, it, yeah, we had to get the right people in charge there. I think there were people who wanted to do it for a long time. And once those people were in charge, they kind of, uh, pushed it, pushed it pretty quickly. My contract was up. We were renegotiating. There were some other some other uh, possibilities at play, and then I think um, they they came to the table real quick with the idea uh, to do the show, which, for better or for worse, I accepted. Well, well, was it what you wanted, or like? Because I kept thinking, there's no way Pat's going to keep doing sports. There's no way that he's going to stay getting up at one forty five or whatever to yeah. to do sports. Was that ever a thought in your mind to leave sports behind? Or were you thinking, I'll do both and see how long I can handle it? I think um, I was going to do both until 
the TV show was as uh, was as financially important to them as the morning show, which was never going to happen. It just it was a totally unsustainable business business model. Um, it was a totally unsustainable television model. It was a totally unsustainable life model for me. Um, so I think ideally it would have been one or the other doing both forever. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was still getting into work at five in the morning and leaving it, you know, six thirty seven at night. Um, it was, it was, it was a pretty, pretty brutal schedule. I mean, like, yeah, I wasn't, it wasn't on a construction site or anything. It was just a long day. Um, but yeah, I, I think for it to have continued, it would have, it would have had to have been one or the other. What did you take from the experience of doing the show? Uh, I think the biggest thing I took was, you know, I think I, I had to push myself uh, to some, to some really, really, uh, some real limits to get that show done. Yeah, I, mean, I was, remember talking was... to you on, we were at, where were we? We were across the street from, from Wrigley one day. And I, I was doing like a preview of the season with LJ and I was just standing there and you were like, dude, I'm so exhausted. Like, cause yeah. you were, you were running through like both of those shows. And I, I was, I couldn't believe that you were doing both of them. I think that was the biggest takeaway was that uh, there were a few takeaways. Number one, I was able to see just how far I could push myself if need be. I think, you know, sometimes you don't know how, how far you can stretch until you're forced to, to stretch. Right. And I was like, God damn, I can get a lot done if I'm forced to get a lot done. Mm -hmm. I think that was one thing. I think the other thing was I took away, it helped me to kind of narrow my focus a little bit more for what I'd like to do and what I didn't. Like, I didn't like being a boss. 90% of my job was not comedy doing that show. 90% of my job was managing a staff, was, manage, was running a writer's room, was supervising people, was getting on people's case if they were late, was getting on people's cases if they didn't have I didn't like that. I don't want to do that. I like being my own boss. I like doing stand up. I like doing my podcast, you know, at WGN. Yeah, I have bosses, but they let me, you know, they let us kind of police ourselves. I learned I don't ever want to do that again. If if I don't have to, I'm not, I'm not out here looking to start. A, I'm not out here trying to be Lawrence Holmes starting a media empire, having, having 15 <laughs> podcasts underneath me. Those days are over, Lawrence. Those you have a much more you have a much more calm, reflective demeanor for, than me. I don't know if you've observed me much at all, but I'm what you'd call excitable, and uh, I tend to take things a little too emotionally. Not the qualities everybody wants in a manager. So, um, so yeah, and I think it, it just helped me. Um, Take away that I love comedy and I want to do comedy, whatever form that is. It doesn't have to be a, a, a huge commercial success. Be nice if it is. Be nice if, uh, you know, once once this pandemic is over, I'm selling out clubs again and my podcast is, you know, on Lawrence Holmes levels. But, you know, whatever. one baby step at a time. Well, listen, not all of us can get 50,000 downloads a week. We're not all Lawrence Holmes. We're we're not quite there, but we're we're doing all right. But I will tell you, that some of that same frustration is some of the frustration that I have that, that like I get off on finding talented people yeah. or like putting talented people together. Like the business part of it 
is the part that I hate the most. Yeah. It, it's it's whether it's it's cold calling people or going on sales calls, like all of that stuff. Like I so want to just give that to someone else, but that also means giving a measure of control to someone else, and that's yeah. where the rub is because are you a control yes, freak like me? Yeah. Yes, that's that's what about. Do you you know what I've found that I actually have started to like because I've I kind of like negotiating. Yes, me too. I, I didn't think I would I would get into that, but once you get comfortable in that role. Like it's, it's, it's very akin to sports. Like it's a, it's a comp, it's not about the money. It is about the money, but it's not totally about the money. It's about just that whole, that strategy, that give and take. That's probably the only part of the business side that I like all the other stuff, the managing the people, all that nonsense. Oh, bro. It was, uh. I hate dealing with, especially in TV, you're dealing with five different departments, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them are union, right? You got to wait for a guy to come down from his lunch break to move a table so you can rehearse. It's like, I, I wanted, I wanted to jump off the roof of, of WGN half the time, but that's just, that's how it is. That's, that's just me. That's a me thing, Lawrence. I'm the one who doesn't have patience for that. Some people do. I just didn't. I'm working on it. I'm working on it, especially because now I feel like I feel like I've I don't, ascended is not the right word. I guess I've been doing this so long that there are people who think that I have it figured out, and they're like, "Well, you've got it figured out." And I'm like, "No, I don't. Like, I don't. <laughs> right. I don't have it figured out. I'm still working through like figuring out a lot of this stuff." But they're counting on you, and those people. Like, I take a little bit of strength from people that are genuinely counting on, like, House of L to succeed or something like that, and it's fun, but I agree with you. Like, my last negotiation with the score, it was a knockdown, like, drag-out fight, and I enjoyed it, and what they usually tell talent is you don't want to be in the room because you don't want to hear the stuff that they say about you in the room. And I felt like it gave me an opportunity to say some stuff that maybe they didn't want to hear. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to be in the room with me. Yeah. You're, you're damn right, Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence isn't playing. Did you do your own negotiating or did you have an agent you just sat in there with him? Well, or her? Well, this was the thing of the negotiation with the score is there were two different things that were at play because when the I podcast stopped, and the radio. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so I told them, I was like, look, there's two different negotiations. You're talking, you're talking to two different people. There's yeah. Lawrence, who's the talent at the score. He loves you guys. Like, he loves yeah. doing his radio show. And then there's the guy who's the CEO of House of L. He's different. Like, yeah. he's looking for a completely different thing from this experience. And it turned out, like, it ended up being the best of both worlds. My agent handled pretty much everything on the talent side. I handled things. And we came to some really cool agreements. And, and I, I will say that when you're working for like a big box media company, when you are given a little bit of juice to do something, that's fun. Like when people will recognize, well, you know, you've done well at this, this, or this. So what if we put you in charge of this? What would then happen? Like that's kind of exciting. And honestly, like that's, I imagine like that's the next lane that I fall into. 
Like I, yeah. I, I want to produce stuff in a strange way. It's rare too. Cause I, I kind of have the same setup with WGN and it's rare that they let you have your whole side business. Like if you worked at, at some stations in town on TV, they wouldn't, they, they would own you. Yep. They wouldn't let you do anything that you, that was outside of, of the purview of working for them. So the fact that, uh, that they let you do that is, is, and you know, if they don't, you, Give me calls. I'll, I'll talk to Mitch Rosen. Good. I'll, I'll tell I'll him. him. I'll, I'll come over. I'll give him a slap. Hey, knows. We'll, we'll get we'll get you in there with him and wrestle him. Um, and, and you know, you know, you know, let you take care of business. Mitch Rosen that wants way. to keep the house at L. He don't want to lose you. He, you're too big a star now. I don't know about that, but he was very instrumental in making it work. Like yeah. he's, he's a good dude. I'm messing around, Mitch. If you're Mitch, knows I love him. Mitch is a good guy. He is. He really is. I've enjoyed like I've worked with him for a really long time, and I really enjoy what he brings to the table. And he's a crazy person. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, and he knows this that he's a crazy person. But I've I've really enjoyed like being able to pick his brain. And sometimes like talent, I think we are so into our own heads. We don't always see the, the the mosaic, like we don't see the big picture, and it's nice when you you like Mitch said to me we were getting ready to do like sit down and talk with the the sales department. It's like oh yeah, we should probably loop them in on this conversation that we're having, aren't you know? It's it's that sort of thing where you have someone yeah. who gets it, who's like, well, let's follow these steps to get it where you want to go instead of running through a wall every right. single time that you want to do yeah. something. Well, it's good. But the, but the other, the, the flip side of this though, is, is you have to be getting your counsel from somebody who knows their ass from their elbow. Mitch is, Mitch is a guy who's doing something right. He's been Correct. here a hundred years. The guy's obviously good at his job or else he wouldn't last as long as he has in the same job. You, you know, as well as I do, there are plenty of people you've worked with who, who you've been like, I would not ask this guy what time the bus comes, let alone how to approach this or that. Right. I mean, we've had, yep. you know, so it's good that you have that kind of guy that you can, that you can bounce things off of, man, this was incredible. I'm so glad that we did this. I am very much looking forward to seeing you. I've seen you perform four times and every time four times. I've, yeah. I've seen you four times. Last time I, I saw you was what the the was John's was that, thing, right? Who's? I think it was John John Vincent's thing. Was it Johnny's thing? Yeah. What thing did I do for Johnny? Remember he did like the pop up Christmas. Oh God, that was brutal. <laughs> Why was that? I thought you killed. You were great. Bru yeah, because you were probably sitting in the first three rows. You couldn't hear anything oh, in the yeah. back. Oh yeah. Bro, that was that's just it was one of those rooms. Some rooms are just not set up for comedy. That's right. Yeah, because it was, was one of those rooms where, like, I could hear people having, con like, in the in the side bank banquets having conversations. And there was dinner nuts. going on, too, so dinner, it was a little weird. So, yeah, but if you liked it, that's all that matters. I was happy to eat shit if Lawrence liked it. <laughs> well, if you end up at North Bar again, I'll, I'll come back and I'll see you there. And But wherever you are, man, I think you're really good, and I think you uh, you do sports in a way that is unique. Like, I can see some of the, the places where you draw from, and I'm like, man, he was able to amalgamate some of that shit and then make it his own. I'm like, that's that's the way to do it. That's yeah, what's up. I'm an amalgamator from way back when. People have always known me as an amalgamator. <laughs> Are we all, though? Aren't hey, all? I'm going to be at Zany's in, uh, in the first weekend of uh, – in Rosemont, first weekend of June. If you want to come through, let me know. I'll put you on a guest list. I'll save you 20 bucks. You know what? 
I'm I'm down. I'm going now that we are hopefully winding our way out of the COVID spiral. I am going to start doing more stuff because I miss doing stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry if you hear whining. My dog has uh, somehow unlocked the door and made it in here because I think it's her dinner time. Okay. Honey, feed the dog. No, no, no. Go. I'm feed- on the house of L for God's sake. <laughs> Go feed your dog. We're all set. We got it. We got to cover. Unless Are there's you sure? anything else you want to say. No, I got nothing. Listen to my podcast. You're a podcast guy. Have you listened to my podcast? I have not checked out the. I didn't even know that you had one. The pay. What do you mean you didn't know I had one? I Everybody didn't know. knows I had. I knew one that more. you had YouTube. I didn't know yeah. that you had a pod. Oh and yeah, now I, I do. Pod. Oh yeah, pod. That's what all the cool kids call. So I call so it a pod. so what goes on on the Pat Thomasulo podcast? Oh, it's just me ranting and raving like a lunatic <laughs> for a solid hour every week. It really is. It's really just, it's open mic for Thomas Sulo where he just rants about anything that's going on in the world in his life. Uh, what are we going to talk about this week? We're, well, we're renovating a house and that's, boy, that's a. While I'm, living I'm, in it? No, no, no. Oh, I thank stay God. Married. No, 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 no. We're, it's, it's over the next neighborhood over, but we're, we're at a point now where I'm, where I'm getting ready to throw a Molotov cocktail at this thing and just let it burn. Just get the insurance enough. money and just be Yeah, I've had on. enough. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun little experiment. Now let's let's end it. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, just it's the worst. I love. That. I mean, I'm blessed. Don't get me wrong. I'm blessed that I'm in a position to do this, and I I love my life. But if an asteroid were to hit that construction site tomorrow, meh. What are you gonna do? I feel you. I what are you gonna do? Win some, lose some. Feel you. Pat. I'm just wait. I'm expecting an email from my contractor about something else. I'm probably going to get hit something up that's going to go dollars. wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, not wrong. Just, you know, him, uh, I don't want to get sued. I won't say anymore. <laughs> anyway, that was the House of L podcast. <laughs> I, I just did your sign off. I appreciate it. Pat, you're the man. I appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Continued success, brother. Thank you. You too. Wonderful, wonderful chat with Pat Tomasulo, man. He, I Sometimes when you you think about putting guests on the podcast, you hope that it lives up to your expectations. And the episode with Pat, I think lived up to it. He was terrific. Watch him every morning on channel nine with the rest of that crew. God, I got to get Robin. You know what? It's funny. Like everyone wants to get Robin on their podcast. Cause I'll just say this. The reason that I want Robin on the podcast is because I have a lot of reverence for what she did in her career. And I, I've i never told her this. I don't know if she's going to listen to this episode, especially past the part where, where Pat is, is interviewed. But I used what she did in her career as a bit of a template for some of the stuff that I wanted to do, where she had spent a majority of the early part of her career working on radio. And she made the transition over to television very seamlessly. So it was inspiring to see that she now will be probably most remembered for what she does on television. And I think that she's been a tremendous influence on all of us that wanted to do like multimedia stuff that we didn't want to be put in the box of we can only do radio or we can only do print. And it's something that I tell students all the time that now everyone has to be everything. And seeing her cross over and have 
you know, a quarter of a century of success on television was very, very inspiring. Low-key, I want to get Larry on the podcast, too. Because he's, like, he's such a, a sports dude, even though he's not. He's like a fierce competitor. He played college baseball. I remember seeing that that charity boxing event. Like, he took it seriously. And I forgot who he was fighting, but he messed that dude up. So I want to get him on, on the pod. I mean, anyone, honestly, from that group. And Paul's a DePaul guy, so love to talk to him about acting and whatnot. But Pat's so great, man, and, and I'm so happy that we were able to make this whole thing happen and he was able to join us. I can tell you that things are going well as far as the podcast go and putting stuff out and adding more people into the mix like Roki and Ranji and Tony Gill and... I can't believe I I run a podcast company that Tony Gill has two podcasts on. Russ and Jason's Sports Adjacent Podcast is dope, man. I We run it in our feed. Eventually, they're going to be on just their own feed. I'm trying to decide on when that happens, but their podcast is so good, and I'm not surprised. And Maddie Lee is out here doing heavy lifting, and we might add some more stuff. Like, I'm... I'm putting the Avengers together, man. And now I got the Guardians of the Galaxy with Roki and Ranji and, and Tony. I got them covered. So I think I'm still waiting on uh, Black Panther and Iron Man. I think that's all I'm right, waiting on, and then we'll be good to go with the, with the Avengers, my Avengers analogy. And you can think about who I might be talking about in that regard on who might be what. Thanks to Zinni.com, I – Look, I'm a big proponent of advertising. There needs to be a connection. And I'll just tell you straight up and down. Zenny's run with House of L is technically over. Like, from the language of the contract, like, once the bull season ended, it was over. But I like their products so much that I don't mind giving them a little free love. So... All of my glasses that I have, I replaced my entire set of glasses with ones I got off Zinni, and I spent about $100 on all six pair. Think about that for a second. I had an order, the, the last pair of glasses, or last three pairs of glasses I got cost $48. They keep it really simple. Get your prescription from your optometrist. It's very easy on the website and wait like seven days and your glasses will be here. It's a much easier thing than what you've probably already been doing. Zenny.com. And we love Team Hochberg too. David went like warp speed. I found, thank God, like I found a house because the housing market right now, like Amy Kite's people, Amy doesn't broadcast, uh, she doesn't advertise on, on my pod yet. But we had to, you know, I don't know if, you, if any of you are out there looking for a house. But in Chicago right now, if you like something, you better put in a bid immediately. Like the housing market in Chicago has been wild. And I found something that I liked and we went back and forth. And Amy and her team did a great job of like getting me exactly what I was looking for. And then 
you, if you got to have your money right, you know, if you're making these these crazy bids, you got to have your money right. You got to have your money secured so you look attractive to 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 the sellers. And I knew how much money I could afford. I knew all that stuff because David Hockberg had me ready. Like everything was loaded and ready to go. And his guy, Steve, Steve, like he moved mountains for me. And that's what they do. So if you're looking for someone to help you out, if you're thinking about refinancing or if you're buying a place, I know a lot of great agents that can help you. You can hit me up and ask me, like, if you don't feel comfortable, like, just going on, ask me. Houseofelpodcast at gmail.com. I'll point you in a good direction. Houseofelpodcast at gmail.com. But go talk to David about the money. I'm adamant about that. 312-855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 1124061. So that does it. I can tell you what next, what the next episode of House of L actual is. Me and Vincent Goodwill got into a conversation about Stevie Wonder that a lot of stuff in that episode that's coming out next is terrific. But I found we, we, we care about Stevie Wonder's music in very similar ways. So I'm looking forward to you hearing Vinny Goodwill when he's on the pod. I guess I could start hitting up a lot of my Bulls people now. I got to call, shout out to Chris Herring. Get him on the podcast, although he's probably, he's covering the NBA playoffs and stuff. I appreciate you listening. If you want to email me, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. That's houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. I will talk to you next time. We got great stuff coming up this week with all of the podcasts. I'll talk to you later. Peace. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.